Today's scripture is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and you who are our redeemer this day. Amen. There's a quote that you can find on the internet um, that's usually attributed to Walt Disney, and it's, if you can dream it, you can do it. This was undoubtedly not Walt Disney who said this, but someone who thought it sounded like something Walt Disney might say that then gets propagated all over the internet and joins all of the other dubious quotations there. But it sounds like something Walt Disney would say, and it sounds like something we'd like to believe culturally, right? If you can dream it, you can do it. And though Walt Disney might not have said it, his life encapsulates it, right? He, He lives into... This idea that he can imagine a world and create a magical place. So much so that the the most important employees there are called Imagineers. To speak this way assumes that we can actualize our imaginations. And it assumes also, even under the text, that what we imagine is good. That what we imagine should be actualized. And this is the kind of positivity and possibility that we love to embrace. If you can dream it, you can do it. We see it in the wonder of the children in, uh, I haven't seen the newer Willy Wonka movie, but the older one at least. Um, As they go into the chocolate factory and, and he sings, come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Y'all weren't expecting me to sing, were you? I hope I'm not disappointing you. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do, do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. There is no life I know to compare with pure imagination. Living there... You'll be free if you truly wish to be. And the kids and the parents in the scene wander around this beautiful garden full of bright colors, and it turns out everything there is edible. It's all delicious sweets. Not just one sucker that you get, but everywhere you look, delicious things to eat. And listen, I don't begrudge Willy Wonka And I I love the movie. It is delightful. But this assumption that we can imagine some kind of paradise and make it be is simply not true. And frankly, a chocolate paradise is something I am all in for, okay? If y'all got a chocolate river at your house, invite me over. I will enjoy it. But that's not the paradise that God designed. Eden, the paradise that Adam and Eve were in, is full of good vegetables and fruits to eat. It might be harder to imagine that God could make that sort of place a paradise when we're a child than to imagine a chocolate paradise, right? Which is just one way to think about what it is that Paul says today. That God makes for us a paradise beyond what we can imagine. Beyond what anyone in Hollywood could dream That God is capable of doing more for us than we could ask for. Week after week, we gather together. We lift up our prayer requests before God. We hope that God will do miraculous things. We expect God to do miraculous things for all of the situations that we pray for. And we worry sometimes that God won't do it. What Paul says here is that God can do more than we could ask for. He says, Now to him 
As he says that, he's talking about God the Father. That He's already said every family in the world gets their name from him. And this world that we live in, Paul has already told us, has been made by God. That he's created everything that exists. Every bug, every flower, every color in the sunset, every taste that you have ever tasted. Every mountain view that you have seen, every gentle wave that you have enjoyed on the beach every cool breeze, every culture that exists throughout the world, every skin color, every reptile, every bird, everything God has made. And all the way back when Adam and Eve were in their paradise far beyond what we could imagine, we as humans let, let the serpent tempt us to think that we could imagine something better. That we knew more about what we needed than the God who us. And so we sought to move past our station, to move past what God had designed us to be, thinking that we could become more and more like God, and that's what paradise would look like. And as we jumped in with both feet, we ruined the paradise that God had created in the world. It sounds amazing. To say, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you want to change the world, there's nothing to it. Just a world of pure imagination. Living there, you'll be free if you truly wish to be. But if everybody could do the things that they imagine, it'd be a pretty terrible world for the rest of us. There'd be no fresh peaches or tomato sandwiches, as were mentioned earlier. Because we'd all be eating Skittles falling from the trees. Or in other cases, other people would imagine that they rule over everyone else. I'm sure you can imagine the ways that quickly other people's imagination carried out into reality could be deeply problematic. So that's not what Paul is saying. That... We can get everything that we already want and more. What Paul is saying is that God is doing something far bigger and better than we ask for or dream of. It might be entirely different than what we expect, but it will be good. So he says, Now to the God, the Father who made everything and gave every family in, in the earth its name, the one who is gathering everything up into his son Jesus, has already started that work in the church, whose diversity testifies to the heavenly places of the goodness and the power of God. By the power that is already at work within us, it's already happening. By the power already at work in the church, where God is leading people from death to life, where he's already incorporating us into a family that we, where we did not belong, into covenants that we did not know, including us in inheritance that we had no right or claim to. By that power, by the power of his boundless, borderless love, he's able to do abundantly far more than whatever we could ask or imagine. More than we could imagine. Because our imagination is insufficient to imagine the good things that God has laid out before us, to see the wonders of what God is going to do in our world. One of my favorite books that I read for the first time in high school is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And the whole premise is that there's folks who've taken a, um, a bus from, um, from the lower places, one, one might call it hell, and they've, they've gone up to heaven, they've called a bus to heaven, and they have a chance to, to take a journey into the higher places if they will choose it. He's not making any kind of argument about whether or not we'll be able to be saved after we die, and that's not the point today. But everyone who's there finds themselves as insubstantial, as they walk on the grass, the blades are so much real than their bodies that, the, that they, feel like, they feel like actual blades in their feet. And for each person who shows up, there's, a, a, um, there's someone who comes down from the high places to greet them and to show them the way, to be their guide on the journey. 
And one of the women who, women who, who makes the journey up to the edge of the high places, her name is Pam. And Pam's son died before she did and caused her a tremendous amount of grief. And it was deeply tragic. And the person who greets her when she gets to the edge of the high places is her brother, Reginald. She says, oh, Reginald, is it you? And he says, yes, dear. I know you expected someone else. I hope you can be a little glad to see even me for the moment. And she says, I did think Michael would have come. And then almost as fiercely, she says, he is here, of course. He, he's there far up in the mountains, says Reginald. And she says, why hasn't he come to meet me? Didn't he know I was coming? And, and Reginald says, my dear, don't worry. It will all come right presently. It's done for him to come to you, not, not yet. He wouldn't have been able to see you or hear you as you are at the present. You'd be totally invisible to him. But we'll soon build you up. And they talk a little bit more, and then she says, well, when am I going to get to see my son? And Reginald says, there's no being allowed. Not that you're not allowed to see him. As soon as it's possible for him to see you, of course he will. You just need to be thickened up a little bit. And what he means by thickened up is that these folks, as they make the journey, as they walk step by step on the, grades that, on the, on the blades of grass that first cut their feet, they become more and more real as they get closer and closer to God. They become more and more solid as they move along. And he says, you'll become solid enough for Michael to perceive you when you learn to want someone else besides Michael. It's only the, the little germ of a desire for God that we need to be able to start the process of you becoming solid. And she says, oh, you mean religion and all that sort of thing? This is hardly the moment to talk about religion. Never mind, I'll do what's necessary, whatever it takes for me to see my son I'll do it. The sooner I begin, the sooner I'll see him. I'm quite ready to go. And Reginald says, well, that's no beginning at all. As long as you're in that state of mind, you're treating God as a means to Michael. But the whole thickening up consists in learning to want God for his own sake. This mother, Pam, has thought for so long that she knew what heaven was going to look like, that she was going to get to see her son. This is how she'd imagined it, that she can't even embark on the journey where she will, in fact, get to see her son because she can't turn her attention to the Lord. All of this journey is far more than she imagined it would be. She can have her son, but it all comes with a lot more. And she's so focused on her son that she can't imagine doing this. This is neither love nor faith. This is expecting the God of the universe to work on our terms rather than the other way around. And if you think of the stories of faith in Scripture, they're the opposite of what Pam has imagined for her life. God shows up to Abram unexpectedly. He's not looking for the Lord and he says, Abram, if you'll leave your family and your land behind, I will give you a land and a family that will become a nation to become a blessing to the world. I'm not going to tell you all the details of it. Just come along. It's more than you could ask for or imagine. And with Moses, after he's killed a man in Egypt and escaped into the wilderness and finally made a life for himself there, he's keeping the animals one day, and he sees a burning bush, and God interrupts his life and says, I need you to go back and save your people. Moses says, I don't want to go back there. And even if I did, I, I can't talk clearly enough. I have a speech impediment. Lord, I don't want to do this. And he becomes the one who redeems his people from slavery. When Esther and the people of Israel are away in, in exile... She wants to lay low and keep safe. And her uncle Mordecai says, it might be that for just a time as this, the Lord has put you in this position. And she puts her life on the line 
so that God can save the Jews from the evils that are headed their way. With Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm getting as far away from there as I can, not just because I don't want to go to Nineveh and those people are terrible, but also because I know God is going to be gracious to them and I just don't have the stomach for that. And yet he goes and Nineveh repents. Mary is on a trajectory to marry the man of her dreams, say Joseph, and Gabriel shows up and says, you're expecting a child. And through this trajectory of her new life that she never asked for or imagined, she becomes the very mother of God. Paul grows up a Pharisee, is the best student He keeps all the rules. He is zealous for the Lord that his teachers have taught him. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't recognize him. And so when other people, after they've killed Jesus, start going around and proclaiming that Jesus has been raised from the dead, Paul goes around helping people kill those people. Paul's story. Paul's story indicates exactly what it is that he's talking about here. The ones that Paul wanted to kill by the grace of God, have welcomed them into their community and allowed him to become one of their foremost leaders, far more than he could ask for or imagine. And then as he becomes one of their leaders, the Lord drives him to care for the Gentiles, people that his parents told him to stay far from. And not just when it's easy, but he suffers for their sake, going to jail so that he can share the good news of Jesus with them. The Lord has driven him to suffer for the sake of people that he never would have spoken to before, in the midst of a community that he once tried to stamp out. That's the power of God's grace at work in our lives. More than we could ask for, more than we could imagine, and deeply wonderful. This is the power of God's grace in us, bringing Jews and Gentiles together in Christ, taking enemies and turning them into friends and fellow ministers of the gospel, taking those who are left outside of the promises of God and bringing them in, taking sinners and making them into saints. It's really the most unexpected and unimaginable kind of work. And somehow, somehow unexpectedly, we've been included too. You and me. Who'd have ever thought we would have become saints, ministers of the gospel, followers of Jesus? Uh, Kayla and I each week this summer have, have had, had a conversation with some other preachers around the state about what we're preaching and thinking through the text. And this week I asked those people on the call, the, the three other preachers, if they expected to be where they are right now. One of them is a preacher in Greenville who played college soccer and expected maybe to get a chance to play pro soccer and then became an insurance salesman afterwards. And now he's a Methodist preacher in Greenville, Mississippi. Another was a a rising star in the Air Force as an ROTC member and then as an enlisted person or as a commissioned officer. Now he finds himself in Tupelo preaching the gospel. The intern at Tupelo first shared with us that she grew up in a family just outside of Huntsville, Alabama. She had her whole career mapped out. She already had an internship that was going to lead to a job with NASA as a rocket scientist when she went to Mississippi State. And now she's going to be a preacher. Not all of you are called to be preachers, though maybe some of you. But for all of us, this is the way that God's grace works. It pulls us out of the places that we have been. It plops us down in new places with new people that we never could have dreamed of, maybe even in our own town. We might not move anywhere. And yet the people that we find ourselves with are surprising. And the work that God does in our midst is surprising, often in ways that we could have never dreamed of. And yet as we look back on what God has done has been deeply, deeply wonderful. Something so good that it's worth suffering for. I wonder today if you've experienced God's grace in this way. 
that as you look back on your life so far, that God has done things beyond what you could ask for or imagine. And if so, this is a powerful testimony for you. Sometimes we imagine that our testimonies are only those that deliver us from from deep crime or addiction or something like that. But for all of us, this is how God's grace works. It takes us and leads us on journeys that we wouldn't have asked for, that we couldn't imagine, and that yet in them we find deep abiding joy. That's a powerful testimony, whatever yours is. Because if you have witnessed this, like Paul, you can testify to these verses that God can do anything, things far beyond what you could ask for or imagine. And our witness to that is always an invitation for others to come and experience what it is that we have experienced. If you haven't experienced God's grace in this way, I encourage you today to open yourself up to God's grace to ask him to pour it out over you, to save you from your sin, to bring you into his eternal life, and to take you to places that you never thought you'd go with, people that you never thought you'd be around, and somehow find joy in that. That is the power of God for us. And when we are faithful to the gospel, it is our testimony to the world of how God is at work. Will you pray with me? Lord, it's a scary thing to ask for more than we can imagine because that's totally beyond our control. It means that you'll do things in ways that we wouldn't have drawn it up. It means that you'll ask us to do things that we never would have chosen for ourselves. It means that you'll put us with people that we might not have liked before. And yet, Lord, it's worth the journey. For us to make our way to the high places with those you've given us to guide us along, to make us more real, to make us more solid, to make us look more like you. So we pray, O oh Lord, that we would not be bound up by our imagination and making the world into what we think it ought to be or doing things how we want to do them, so that we could subject our wills to yours knowing that if we walk with you, we'll find freedom. That if we walk with you, we will find a paradise way better than the one that we could try to make for ourselves. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who has come to save us and blazed the trail for us to get back to you. Amen.